Gents, today we've got Matt Jones from Apex Financial Services, part of St. James's Place Group. I think what we try and get to is when do you want to retire and then I can work back from there. Yeah. Okay. So rather than sitting here and going, right, well, let's do this and see where we end up, mm-hmm. we go, right, well, it's very difficult to say because obviously I could win the lottery tomorrow, but if we say I'm going to retire at 60, you're 38, right, well, let's work back from there. Yeah. What are key life events? Matt's a wealth advisor, so a wealth manager, in fact. So he looks at the entire market of where to put your money, not just buy to lets, not just buying property. So he's got an overarching knowledge of, of what's a good place to put your money in what might be a really unstable time. Guys, what are you ex- expecting to hear from him? What are you looking forward to asking? For me, it'd be interesting to know what trends are going on with investors at the moment, how the crisis in Ukraine is affecting the markets as a whole. So it'd be interesting to see from his side how he sees things planning short term and long term. Straightforward buy, hold or sell from Tristan. What about you, Ian? I, I want to ask a couple of questions around the different generation brackets and the advice or the trends that he sees with different age brackets of people and, and how you can make your money work for you, protect, invest, aggressive investing, passive investing. And I think it goes really parallel with how we work as as letting agents in a different way. Obviously from a deposit, you need a big chunk of deposit for property. You could invest as little as £10 a month into something and it could compound and make a big difference. So from a selfish point of view, I'm looking forward to uh, getting a lot of information and knowledge out of Matt. So uh, let's get him on. So Matt, thanks for joining us on the desk. Really appreciate you coming in to have a chat with us today. First question really, the same that we put to everybody. Why did you get into property and finance yourself? Um, Property in particular, I think it offers a really good opportunity to diversify the portfolio. A number of my clients are um, invested both in markets and in property, and I think it offers you a really nice blend, um, particularly when markets are a little bit um, bumpy, which they are at the moment. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch upon that later. Uh, Yeah, it just offers that that lack of correlation between everybody's um, wealth in one position. So... Yeah, that's what sort of attracted me into the, the property element of it. Finance is a, a much wider um, sort of circle. And again, I'm sure we'll, we'll go into the ins and outs of that. But I think in particular, there's there's a lot of opportunity out there to really help people create wealth, create the lives that they want. Um, and having, I guess, the uh, skills and sort of abilities to, to strategize some of that out. Uh, is, is I guess why I got into the, the markets as well. Is Bumpy a financial advisor's version of an estate agent's potential for <laughs> yeah. jargon? It's potential, great it's potential. Is Bumpy, the, is Bumpy the same kind of jargon as? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that's moving. Um, yeah, politically correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, vo- volatile would be a very, uh, very accurate word, but Bumpy is the is the watered down version (laughs) we spoke about it on this podcast actually with because property has been phenomenal in terms of its returns for people in equity and people that have bought property in fact i went and saw someone just the other day and i think they paid 460 about 14 months in the house opposite which was smaller had just gone for 600 and you think you know you made 150 grand in like 14 months it's phenomenal um but we mentioned in the intro that your speciality is in wealth management (laughs) And I think sometimes people kind of see that title, but they don't 
like always understand exactly what it means. Although it's quite clear, the actual sort of framework of how it breaks up is sometimes quite tricky for people to digest. So for the property investors and the landlords that are listening to this, could you just give us a bit of a summary in terms of what your business does from a service perspective for your clients and, and I guess how it benefits them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the, the first point to start with is, is probably investments. Um, investments mean you know various things and it's they're all uh, again quite jargon heavy with with tax wrappers etc but essentially an investment is when somebody is looking to put some capital down whether on a regular basis or, or in a lump sum to make some return mm-hmm. um, you know I'm sure we'll touch upon inflation and things like that so not only are we trying to keep pace with things like inflation which obviously you know very high at the moment touching eight percent as, as it stands um, it will come down by the end of the year, don't worry. Um, but yeah, there's that element to it, but also trying to produce, you know, again, the lifestyle that they want both now and then looking a bit further ahead and retirement feels a long way away for some of us, but mm-hmm. it, it comes around, you know, quicker and before we know it. So it's putting things in place now so that you really feel that they can benefit you, your family, your loved ones in the future. Um, so so investments is all about taking that sort of zoom out approach and mm-hmm. looking at things over the long term. Um, it, we don't get too heavy into the let's try and beat the market, let's try and you know see when what day the FTSE is going to drop versus this S&P 500. Whilst we do take a very active management approach, that isn't my job as it stands. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's why I you know obviously utilise the investment management approach that I, I work underneath because their active management approach should be ensuring that our clients are in the best position, both now and looking in the medium to long term. Do you find a lot of your clients will come to you with with an idea, but they don't know how to put it into play? Or do they come to you very kind of green with everything and just say, look, I've got 100 grand in the bank, what shall I do with it? What's the normal sort of view that you get? Great question. Um, varies. Uh, I've got clients who are ex-fund managers. Okay. So really all they need from me are the structure of the investment rather than how to actually invest their money. Um, but then I've got clients who don't really understand the world of finance at all. And they look at their pension holdings or they look at other other aspects of their wealth mm-hmm. and they just need some help getting to their goal. So I'm very much, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head really. I'm kind of an A to B guy. Um, my job is to, to handhold people from, this is what I want, how the heck do I get there? Yeah. Um, that's very much the journey that we go on as sort of advisor and client. Um, obviously, I see my clients every year, not obviously, but I do see my clients at least once a year, some far more regularly than that, mm-hmm. particularly when, again, markets are a bit bumpy. Uh, yeah, a it means, yeah, you get a few <laughs> more calls, and, and that's, that's the important part of the job. It's not just getting new clients in the door. It is ensuring that the ones you have, you're really looking after because that's what the, the promise is. That's the service element to it. Mm-hmm. I'd love to be able to sit here and guarantee returns, but nobody can do that. No. Uh, and if they do, they're lying. Um, but it's, it's actually about the service and making sure that clients feel like their money is working really hard for them. Or if you know we're going through volatile periods, at least they understand the rationale behind that and they can lean on someone who works actively in that industry to ask questions or poke for information or whatever that might be and, and that's that's where we come in really. It's interesting because we go hand in hand in a different sort of functionality. We spoke quite a lot, haven't we, about there was a particular graphic that you showed me, I think you saw it on Instagram or something, and it was 
it was about 100 grand and what that 100 grand had done over a particular time frame. I think it was 2011 to 19 or something like that. Um, might be, might be, it was a 10-year window effectively, but the cash in the bank in terms of how things have changed with inflation and how money was worth different at that level, to leave it in the bank account, the 100 grand was worth like 93 grand in today's money effectively. So it, it's kind of all well and good stockpiling your, your cash, but there is no money in savings. Obviously, from us, we're a we're a lettings agency, a property management agency, investing agency. So we kind of advise people on how to make money returns from property, yeah. and obviously, you're doing it from from finance. So it's interesting because I think we're very much similar in our approach with our clients. Is they've normally got a goal, and we're the functionality that gets them to that goal. Hopefully, correctly. Really, it seems hand in hand. I would say. Do yeah, I think I think the one big difference is that property stands in front of you in bricks and mortar so it gives the normal Dave off the street a little bit of confidence that he's buying a two-bedroom semi-detached house that he can drive past every single day and regardless of market forces politics this that and the other it's still a house Mm -hmm. and he knows that 100 years ago a house was worth x 50 years ago it was worth y and now it's worth z whereas obviously I think finance is potentially a little bit more intimidating Mm -hmm. Um, and even the term wealth manager, I don't know when people decide they need one or it's, it's a case that maybe they're introduced to you by an, an already client that's yours already. Mm. You know, does a 25-year-old who lives at home need a wealth manager? Should they be engaging at that point or should it be later? It's actually a fantastic point on, on two fronts there. Firstly, the tangibility of the asset is, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, having a house, you, you're going to have that house. You know, so and that, that's always going to be the case. So, where they can fit together is when you start looking at diversifying portfolios. And um, it's not to say you do one before the other. Um, the wealth manager point is really interesting, actually, because as we know, I'm, I'm work underneath St James's Place, who currently is named St James's Place Wealth Management. They've actually just launched a huge rebrand where we're just becoming St James's Place. Might not seem a big thing, but we're actually dropping the wealth management title. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important because, I mean, I'm 33 and I don't perceive wealth within my own sort of circumstances that I would go and actively seek out a wealth manager. Obviously, I work inside it, so it's slightly different. Mm-hmm. But I think you are right. That is a very intimidating title. And maybe, it, maybe it sort of implies that you've got to be a millionaire to have yeah, a wealth yeah, manager. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And it's, it's that that we're trying to break down those barriers. I mean, obviously, my company, Apex... It kind of doesn't mention anything about wealth. That's deliberate, you know, because we, we offer a, a wide array of financial services. So that is, there was method behind that madness. I didn't mm. want to become a Matthew Jones wealth management for that exact reason. So I think, you know, it's very important and very, um, yeah, greatly pointed that out because we're shifting the way to financial advice for all. And I think that's very, very important. Everybody should have access to an advisor at any point even if it's just to ask what they th- think is a stupid question, there isn't any, any such thing. No, it's the same thing as we say is when, when people come to us as a first-time landlord, there's no such thing as a stupid question because if, it, if it's in your head, you, you need to know the answer for it to, to understand. It's part of the job. Anybody who leaves the office or leaves that phone call with a bit of extra information they didn't have, well, that's great. It's the value, isn't it? It's the value of the service. And I think uh, much like we said there, that the title we said at the beginning, sometimes people... 
it just it doesn't seem like something that they correlate with. It's just not something that is there. But I, I think for me personally, knowing what I know now and being in the property industry and running a business, it would have been great to sit down with someone like yourself coming straight out of school, you know, sort of a, a, a careers meeting. I'd be more interested in knowing what to do with my money and that I'm keen to get into schools and talk to schools about property because I'd love to tell 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds, you know, don't get store cards and credit cards and don't make that mistake that so many people do where they get themselves in debt and then they've got to go for that that credit fight back to get themselves yeah. to a point where they can sort of almost be financially able to borrow again. But in the same way from, from your perspective, people should know that. I'd love to have had that conversation at 18 because yeah. I was into business studies. I'd have listened to it and I'd have acknowledged. And even if it wasn't there straight away, it's somewhere in the back, isn't it, for when it's relevant? So I actually used to be a teacher So um, in my previous life for a few years. So I, I taught locally, the school I actually went to. And uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. The curriculum, I don't know how much I can say here. Would you say anything on this? <laughs> it wasn't necessarily pitched in a way Mm-hmm. that I believe you're equipped when you come out with tools that you probably need, i.e. how do you run a bank account? Yeah. I.e. what's a debit and credit on a on a what does that mean? Yeah. You know, what's an interest rate? Yeah. How does a mortgage work? You know, all those things that are just life skills that everybody should have access to. And there's no better place to do it than school because kids are there. Bums on seats, yeah. they have to be there whether they want to be or not. And, and they absorb more at that age bracket than, than any other time in their life as well. And they say, you know, money makes the world go round. It's not the be all or end all, but it's a saying which will be around much longer than we will. But that kind of particular subject of money makes the world go round, I think at that age bracket doesn't necessarily always, you know, even at unis and things like that, it'd be great. I was going to say, you have the university influence as well, where people just go to uni and, and what for? Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily going to do a degree that they're going to follow. You know, I, I did go to uni, um, did a half sport, half business degree. But, you know, did I go for all the right reasons? Because, you know, the debt that I carried from uni is a lot different now mm-hmm. because the tuition fees alone are treble. So would it then inform people to a point where they make maybe a slightly different decision about their future? Mm-hmm. Um, not just whether well, it's going to an apprenticeship or this that, but actually go into a firm and and hone your skills as to what you like. You know, at eighteen, I'm not saying you say you don't know all the decisions, but it just might shape people's lives slightly differently. And, and it might end up helping people get onto the property ladder yeah. quicker through. If you're Definitely. looking to buy a property, you need a certain chunk of deposit, whereas you know you could invest ten pounds a month and and it could compound it over a certain period of time uh, i think tony robbins talks about where if you'd invested 300 pounds a month or something 300 dollars a month for eight years at the start of your career and then just left it and didn't invest it anymore you could effectively have retired at 50 based on how the markets had worked and you'd have like 1.8 million dollars in your bank account from the compound effect of investing which is quite powerful in itself. I'm going to flip the conversation on its head completely because it's so relevant and topical. And you mentioned about volatile and things like that. There's obviously some horrific events going on globally at the moment, specifically in Ukraine. But it's topical because I've got clients, high net worth clients at the moment that are in the Russian money element of things or Ukrainian family. And it's 
it is impacting the top end of the property market. But I'm interested to know from your point of view, because I know on your website there's a really good blog talking about Ukraine. So how is that? How has the last week impacted your kind of career path and, and your services and your client chats? Well, it affects me personally. I invest money, obviously, through the company that mm. I, I own. Uh, but it, it's affected all my clients, and I take that personally because, obviously, they've entrusted me with, with hard-earned monies, etc., um, whether that be pensions, you know, inheritance tax solutions or, or investments. Um, and, yeah, you know, they will have to log on to their wealth accounts and see... Um, you know, things aren't always uh, sunshine and rainbows in the markets. I think that's really, really important because for inexperienced investors, that is going to cause potentially some angst. So if I bring that back right to Financial Advice 101 is before we even get to any sort of investment is make sure you've got enough cash. And I know we've talked about cash not being king, as some people might tell you, but, but there has to be an element of emergency fund, as we call it, and for some people, that's five grand. For some people, that's 500 grand. Mm. That's all them as couples, families, individuals, whatever it might be. So so that is always make sure you haven't overexposed yourself. Yeah. Because I don't want clients checking the markets every day and every night because that's my job. Mm. You know, that's for me to worry about. And if the strategy isn't right now, then, then we can make tweaks to it to make sure we're in the right position in the medium term. So what I need is clients to basically trust the process. Yeah. And to do that, you have to zoom out from short-term geopolitical unforeseen events. Although if you ask Biden, he saw it coming since November, tell anybody, <laughs> but that's different. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's that element to it really where for first timers, it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, and for those experienced investors, they're the ones who don't ring. Mm. They're the ones who don't phone. They're the ones who went through COVID with me. Believe it or not, I actually think this one is more bearable because I advised through the COVID period yeah. you know, where markets really did take a turn for the worse. But amazingly, if you look at 2020 as a year, if you fell asleep for a year, which we pretty much all did anyway, you weren't allowed to do anything else. <laughs> we launched a business, so we didn't. <laughs> actually, uh, Apex was 2020 as there well. Go, for, yeah. some, for some strange reason, I don't know why I did that. Um, if you fell asleep for a year and looked at the markets, they actually produced a 6% return on average within some of our funds. Wow. And at, there were points where we were between 20 and 25% down. Some funds were, were even worse. Mm. But if you just zoomed out, and let's, let's be fair, we didn't see foresee the comeback so quick, but the world adapted very, very quickly. People were able to you know zoom and all that sort of stuff. And, mm. and the world showed its strength in, in how it's able to... Um, adapt to situations which nobody could have anticipated. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that gives you an idea of, of what can happen in a very, very short period of time. Mm -hmm. Yes, if you're drawing your funds in retirement, then it might not help. But if you're investing for 25 years, you look at 2020 and all you'll see is plus six. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't tell you the full story, but that's where I think engaging with an advisor to you know give you comfort um i can't tell you the answers i can't tell you it's all going to be better tomorrow because i don't know that yeah um, but what i can say is you know we have to look at the process look at the time frames that we're talking about here um if people are contributing to pensions in their 30s you can't touch that until you're 55 mm -hmm. which is soon to be 57. so what happens here and now is an absolute tragedy from a um, 
humane perspective. Yeah. You know, we're not in Ukraine, but very, very lucky to be where we are right now. You know, not going through that just horrendous situation. But when people look at their money, I obviously have to see it from a money perspective. Yeah. And, and yeah, it has caused volatility. I mean, from the St. James's Place proposition, um, we don't have barely any exposure to Russian assets. So it hasn't that it hasn't been that that's caused the volatility. It's more the economic sanctions, you know, on the West basically trying to cut Russia off at the knees, for want of a better term, um, to freeze them out to make sure they can't continue to go forth with this, you know, quite frankly, horrendous situation. So do do you think now is the time for the shrewd investor to be investing? Because that's the question that you mentioned yeah. at the beginning. You can't predict the the pivot where it's gone down and starts going up or where it goes to the top and starts going down. But what what history tells me now that I've kind of looked at things over a period of time, over the last sort of 15 years, the, the shrewd investment invests on the decline and obviously the, the kind of almost the FOMO investor, if you like, yeah. sometimes invests too late. Yeah, so it's the, the analogy I use regularly is be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. Mm. So, you know, you look to the midpoint of last year and markets were, were you know, doing incredibly well, sort of double-digit returns in diversified portfolios, some funds, 20%, etc. Um, but it's at that point where you know, we didn't know what event, but an event occurs. Something happens, and then obviously, what where it started to go last year, and what we were actually battling before Ukraine were battling Russia was the concept of Ukraine battling Russia, which markets don't like because mm-hmm. there's no certainty. Yeah, so you can't really price in something that you don't know. And then also, we were trying to combat rising inflation and rising interest rates. Even a 0.25% hike spooks investors and they start running for things like corporate bonds and. You know, so it's a bit different on on how people look to invest. So that's just the cyclical nature of investing, to be honest with you. Um, if economies continue to expand at either a rapid pace or a steady pace, then there'd be no value in investing because everybody would just be receiving this one steady return. Yeah, yeah. They would actually hold less value or no value mm-hmm. because everybody would be doing it. You know, investors, by definition, are taking a risk. You know, and a multitude of risks, equity yeah. risk, currency risk, all the risks that we explain to clients before they choose to invest monies with us. Mm-hmm. So that makes the job easier. You know, if I explain the risks properly and then markets start um, wobbling for, and, and I think what's a really important point here on the Russia-Ukraine thing is it's it's the cyclical nature of investing. I think I've already said that, but it's it's an important time for people to, the shrewd investor, yeah, might go or buy low and, and hopefully, but nobody knows when the market's going to bottom out. No. So if I knew, then I'd tell people, if you've got a bunch of cash, come in today. Again, it's, it's not quite like that, but I think in the principle of what you're saying is right. Um, those experienced investors, maybe with a little bit more capital floating around, might go, well, actually, it is a good time to yeah. top up my investments or maybe throw a bit more into the pension, particularly with tax year end coming in. It's a buzzword for a lot of people in my um, industry um, because obviously there's, there's things you can do to make use of allowances, um, you know, before the buzzer on, on April the 5th and, and we start again 
it's definitely a conversation that people should always have with a specialist at that point because if you if you've got money you want to make it as efficient as possible and obviously we're, we're not trying to suggest tax avoidance but we want to make sure that people are tax efficient in reality so it's it's definitely worth talking about we spoke about kind of the early on and we've all got a view on what should be taught at schools and and how younger people should know more about money i always kind of break um adult life from a property perspective into three segments and we spoke about the kind of 20 to 35 year old sort of bracket what's the different in in sort of information advice or trends you find with the the next two brackets, which I'd say kind of 36 up to 50, kind of our generation, if you like, we sort of sit in that market where probably, you know, married or soon to be married, maybe got kids, got a mortgage, that kind of demographic, working hard, less time on our hands, um, starting to lose our hair, go grey, all that sort of stuff, (laughs) Um, some of us. Uh, And then you've got the next group of people that are kind of the 50 plus, you know, still working, but really got one eye on retirement and, I think I saw on your on your website, investing, protection, retirement were kind of three pots. Do those pots almost sit within those age brackets or are they all mixed up? Um, a little bit mixed up. I mean, I think uh, in, in experience, people get very hung up on pensions, as in they believe that their retirement income is going to come from a pension. Mm. My argument would be a pension is anything that you can draw from in retirement. Just because it's not called a pension doesn't mean it's not a pension because a pension for me is building someone's income when they're no longer working. So they've lost their, their main, you know, income, which if they've been working 30 years is probably quite, um, you know, a healthy income at at that point. It's, it's working out. And and the golden question is always, how much do you need in retirement? I don't know. You know, not only have I got 25 years before I get there, but and not just the value of money with inflation, et cetera, but, but how am I going to live in retirement? Likelihood is my assets will be paid off. You know, I won't have mortgages and things like that. So it's then restructuring those assets mm-hmm. and looking at how we can tax efficiently draw money. So, you know, with a pension, you get all the tax relief going in and that's lovely. Um, but when you, you get taxed on the way back out without the first 25%, of course, it's tax-free. So, there's elements to that whereas if you've got you know pots of money in ices or, or investment bonds there are tax efficient ways of drawing from them as well so i always look at structuring people's assets and not just saying right let's get the biggest pension we can possible because then i lose control in retirement if they want 30 grand a year i know they're going to have to pay tax there's nothing i can do yeah so by the time you've got state pension and then you know you're drawing but you're going to pay tax whereas if you structure it with part pension part isa part investment you could start building that income and the growth and the net number are actually very close. So you're just trying to save people tax in that way. I'm probably quite a good example for the audience listening to this or watching it because I'm 38 years old. I've got two kids. I've got a mortgage. I've got property, um, which is my, my pension and the grey hair <laughs> and some of it's thinning. Um, not that we were talking about uh, that side of it, but I don't have a private pension, never have done. And I see my, my property investment and, and other things as, as kind of my pension. But I do often kind of look at it and think, you know what, you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what's going to happen in 25 years or, or whenever I decide to kind of hang up my boots, as it were. Yeah. So it's for me, it's always interesting because some people say, well, you should be investing in your pension from, from scratch, effectively. Mm. And if it gets to 30 then you've almost missed the boat on it. 
Um, and then some people say, well, start investing in your pension. Now you're a business owner and you've got yeah. the ability to make that change in things. So not that I'm looking for you to give me some one-on-one advice on this live podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but shall we? No, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, but it'd be interesting to know from whether that's a common conversation you have with people. And if so, which different sort of trigger points in someone's life would you start to change the advice that you would give? That's a very good point. Um, I think, again, you know, with the pensions, that they are extremely efficient for certain individuals. And, mm. and I have a lot of individuals who have pensions at work, but want a little bit extra. You know, they want to save a little bit more because they've got this number. So I think what we try and get to is when do you want to retire? And then I work back from there. Yeah. Okay. So rather than sitting here and going, right, well, let's do this and see where we end up, mm-hmm. we go, right, well, it's very difficult to say because obviously I could win the lottery tomorrow. But if we say I'm going to retire at 60, you're 38, right, well, let's work back from there. Yeah. What are key life events, you know, if you've got weddings to pay for or um, kids going to private school and stuff like that. So so we can factor all that in. We do a lot of cash flow modelling for clients mm. and just say, you know, we're only making assumptions, but they're not wild assumptions because you've got a pretty good idea of what your income is, what you could afford to put into a pension right now, or what you can afford to bring out of the business and put into a, a personal investment in, in your own name or your wife's name or both, depending on how tax efficient. So we kind of work back from there and we try and plot the journey with you know, taking into account market volatility, you know, we can plot in a 10% drop every five years because we all know now, and I know better than anybody in the last two years, not yeah. sunshine and rainbows, yeah. but it doesn't mean in the interim there isn't good periods of strong growth. You know, the average numbers over 10 years will probably make investment very attractive. But the route of getting there is obviously something that people have to get used to. So it definitely changes um I find when people have got onto the property ladder, you've got your mortgage, you know, you're paying that down, you know, there's conversations around overpaying mortgages and things like that, that that come fall onto my lap. And then it's looking at, right, well, what can I can do? How can I utilize the rest of my wealth that I'm trying to build for this goal here? Yeah. And those goals move, you know, you might have some, the next 10 years might be amazing in business. You might retire at 55. Well, that's okay. Cause we're, we're constantly going to adapt the strategy and investment performance might be fantastic one year yeah and that's gonna that's gonna push you two years ahead so it's it's that sort of journey again you know it's come long term goal isn't it it's yeah it, but doing this podcast is really interesting because we speak to so many different specialists in different fields but it often comes back to working out what your long-term goal is writing it down talking to an expert within it working out where you are today and it's almost the definition of success in anything we do in life is then to acknowledge where you are and what you have to do to fill the gap effectively. And, and what you just said there makes makes so much sense because, again, it's not something that a lot of people will do because they think it's so far away that mm. before they know it, they've just been doing stuff. And, you know, people have heard us. We had Don, who's an action coach, business coach, and it's one thing that he said, unless you write it down and work it out, you just go around doing stuff effectively. Yeah, a very powerful tool that, we use not it's just not just the cash flow modeling, but it's a simple illustration. So we have to give them out before a client comes on board. Mm. But I actually use them in, in one of the previous meetings and say, right, we're talking about making a pension contribution of five hundred pounds a month direct from your business. Yeah. And then you just say, right, well you want to retire at sixty. So averaging and the FCA put three rates on there, but but at that rate, if you put that amount of money in, there's your number. 
and someone goes, oh, that seems worthwhile now, doesn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. you just think it's £500 a month. Yeah, but we're talking 22, 25 years ahead. Mm. If you keep doing the same £500 a month, that turns into a heck of a lot of money using very mediocre growth rates. Mm-hmm. So it just makes it feel more real to a client and go, well, actually, it is really something I need to start considering because it could have a huge impact. Whereas if I do nothing, this potential, that's not going to be there. Yeah. Even if you just say £500 a month and assume no growth for that time, you're still going to have a hefty pot of money in 20 years. Absolutely. And I'll be out of a job, but that's not the point. <laughs> Richard Branson's island is back on the table. Okay, Mike. <laughs> right, yeah, let's take it. I think you touched on it a couple of minutes ago, but something I've always been fascinated in is, is the British public are obsessed with paying off their mortgage mm. and owning their own home without the interference of Barclays or Woolwich or whoever their lender is. Um, and you, you mentioned the word overpayments, and it fascinates me that people will try to make overpayments on a mortgage, which my mortgage rate currently sits, I think, 1.6%. And you've said your average fund growth last year was 6%. Now, I'd love to know the percentage of homeowners who are overpaying by £200 a month rather than putting £200 a month into a plan. Because generally speaking, someone's house is, someone's mortgage will be paid off somewhere near retirement age. That's where it's all tuned to. I'd just love to hear your opinion and your thoughts where we're talking to anybody who's out there watching, overpay your mortgage by £200 a month because it's the safe thing to do. And it's nice to pay, it's nice to see that come down because we're in the South East. Everyone's got big six-figure mortgages yeah. around yeah. here and it's a big intimidating number. Overpay by £200 and see that number knocking down or put that £200 somewhere else. Great question. Um, I like the fact that that's beginning to become more and more identified. So the generation above us have done incredibly well. They've seen, you know, masses of property price growth. So a lot of them have made, you know, decisions that have really paid off because they can upsize without putting any more equity in. We're not in that position. Property prices are already extremely high, particularly in this region. So the question then comes is if you overpay your mortgage at 50, and as you said, you know, you keep overpaying and that balance is coming down. You've then got no mortgage at 50, but you're still earning, et cetera, et cetera. So then you're sat in your wealth. You can't, because you've spent every extra penny you've got into the mortgage, you've now got this asset. The only way that that is an asset to you is if you downsize mm-hmm. and release some of the equity, or you then decide to take a mortgage against it, which would completely defeat the point in overpaying it in the first place. So so you actually, whilst you own your own home, the likelihood is you've only lost the mortgage payment. So that could be £1,000 a month, £2,000 a month. At 50, you'll be, able, you'll be able to afford it. Because if you can afford it now, at 50, it's very likely you'll still be able to afford it. Yeah. So to have no mortgage and then to start saving at 50 and say, right, well, now we need to build an extra retirement pot because we've got an extra two grand a month to play with because we've got no mortgage. You've got very tight time frame because if you want to retire at 60 you've now got 10 years mm. not 25 so now we talk about well how are we actually going to invest that money because the proximity to retirement is severely reduced i can't look at some of the higher risk assets that we've got in our portfolios i can't do that because you might lean on that money in a much shorter time frame yeah so right now we can put you in 
some of the high risk assets, particularly in pensions at our ages, because we're nowhere near taking them. So, you know, you can look at some of the high risk funds that we have on our proposition. You know, maybe you want less of the corporate bonds. Yes, obviously, increased volatility when things are, but history will tell you increased returns. So, and I can only look backwards, can't look forwards, but, you know, it's, it's that sort of concept of, or do I start building now? Because the effect of compound growth is significant, significant, versus you've now got this 10-year window, and me as an advisor goes, well, well, I haven't got so much time. It affects the investments we can go into, for sure. Invest the way we, we structure the portfolio, for sure. And what is this all for? You know, Is it for you? Are you starting to think about other things, your children, etc.? So when it comes to mortgages, you know, whilst uh, qualifications, etc., I'm no no expert. I know you've had a mortgage advisor on, and, and he is. But commit yourself, particularly with interest rates where they are. My attitude would be: commit yourself to as low a repayment as possible, mm-hmm. and then have the flexibility. If you want to overpay, and then you can still invest a little bit on the side, well, well you're in a fantastic position. That's coming down a bit quicker, but you're also building another pot. We're trying to maximise clients' money, really. Um, and that's not just on returns, but it's on time frame. You know, very, very important in investing is, is time frame. So, yeah, I mean, I can't just blanket say, don't overpay your mortgage, you know, whack it in an ISA or a pension. But those are the things that we consider. You know, and if I've got a 50, 55-year-old coming to me who's mortgage-free but wants to build an extra part of retirement, I treat them, have to treat them differently to a 35-year-old who's got a chunky six-figure mortgage who yeah. can afford that. There's a little bit left over at the end of the month. What should we do with it? They're two entirely different conversations and I prefer one to the other. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that a lot. Let's bring Tristan into the uh, to the conversation. I know you've got your uh, your three questions that we always like to ask at the end. So looking forward to hearing your view. We haven't given you the heads up on these. So uh, okay. anything can happen now, Tristan. Yeah, straight into it. So what happens next in the finance world? Next from an investment perspective, um, I think the next 12 months are going to be a time where you want to have a very firm handle on where your money is. If you've got pensions, investments, etc., and they're not being managed and you're not sure what is going on, now would be a good time to sort of get a handle on how they're invested. Unfortunately, you've got to be really patient. You have to be really, really patient because... If you log on to your wealth accounts and you're seeing certain funds are not having a, a good time because of geopolitical events, macroeconomic factors, I think we have to be really patient. The worst thing we can do right now is is make knee-jerk reactions, pull money out of the market, or even de-risk our portfolio at this point. Because if you're in funds that are experiencing volatility, you have to be really patient with those funds because you've already missed the opportunity to get out before Russia invaded Ukraine. But the worst thing to do right now is try and convert your portfolio into something less risky because you'll miss the good days in those funds where you've taken the biggest hit, if that makes sense. So, Especially if you're doing monthly kind of transfers into it because you're, you're buying, like we said, you're, you're yeah, being true. Monthly's brilliant. Monthly's brilliant because you're always going to buy at a low point. Mm. You're going to buy at a high point as well, but the blended, the blended approach to that investment means that you're going to get in some really good times. You're going to mm. buy high at certain points, but the yeah, the, the blended returns of the portfolio are going to be relatively stable. Mm-hmm. It might not feel like it from month to month, but but that's how it works over sort of 20, 25 years. I think lump sums right now, 
Um, I'm talking to obviously a lot of clients. You mentioned shrewd investors, more experienced investors. You know, there are those conversations right now, but there are ways that we manage risk. You know, if you've got a lump of cash and you want to, and you're doing it for a reason, i.e. some inheritance tax planning. So you need to start that seven-year clock or you need to start that drawdown facility. Then there are ways that we can, you know, get the money into the tax wrapper as such, but not necessarily plonk it all into the market on day one. Because tomorrow could be a 3% down day. We've had three of them in the last two weeks. But we've also had three days of 3% up. So, you know, it's it's you don't wanna you don't wanna miss those good days, particularly if you've experienced the bad. So we've got ways of sort of putting it into a money market fund and we can filter that money in, goes similar to a, a regular investor. You know, you might have a big lump of cash and you want to do it for a certain reason but we can filter that money into the markets over the next six months. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that's really, really important. That's a really hot topic of conversation at the moment is if I've got X amount of money, you know, I'll do a lot of nil rate band planning which, um, for inheritance tax purposes. That's 325,000, 650 for husband and wife. Right now, if it was my money, I wouldn't be putting 650 straight into the market. I'd be looking at phasing it in over the next maybe five, six, seven months, something like that. So you're either going to buy and things are going to go well, or you're going to buy at the low point at some point within there, I think. So, yeah, definitely stay patient. You know, speak to your advisors. Um, speak to me if you haven't got an advisor. <laughs> but um, Well, it's the difference between, you know, it's the difference, maybe not in terms of if you've got an advisor, speak to you. But if you're one of those people that's using something like El Toro or something like that, kind of from an investing platform, yeah. the advice that you mentioned there in something like this is just where the value is. Because you... Just don't have a clue what's going on, do you? especially if you're a nine till fiver. Mm. You know, you're kind of doing your day job, you're going home, dinner with the kids, bath time, bed, sit down, and then you kind of go, you haven't got the com- you haven't yeah. sort of got the ability to then go right. What should I do with that money portfolio that I've invested for an app? Yeah, and, it, and that's the retail investor generation, which again, our generation is very open to investing, which is absolutely brilliant for the future. We might struggle to get the property ladder for you know big deposits and all that sort of stuff but people are open to investing and therefore mm. will build those deposits but a retail investor doing it themselves can turn into a professional investor overnight by using someone because i'm not saying i'm the professional investor i'm the guy who introduces you to the professional investors and all of a sudden you've got these expert fund managers who've been carefully selected to manage your money just through one link mm. Versus, as you rightly say, you know, trying to do it on an app late at night when you don't really know what's happened what's in the markets. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what's going on. We, the are we buying sometime. gold or are we buying oil today? What are we <laughs> yeah, doing? Yeah, I mean, all of that sort of stuff. So it's blue yeah. arrow, red arrow, blue, blue, <laughs> yeah. big blue, and, and then you talk about you know investing on the way up. And so, yeah, it's trying to turn retail investors into professional investors through the use of someone yeah. who can make those those introductions. Yeah, I like those phrases. It goes back to you get out where you get in, and although it can sometimes cost you more money, but that advice you get from that person could make you a lot of money as well. Mm. So I think you get get what you put in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, there's fees in, with managing the funds, which might be more than um, some of the low cost, you know, tracker funds or whatever you might be in. But it's important, therefore, to assess the suitability of every individual. You know, for certain individuals. You know, having this proposition and paying the extra fees might not be appropriate because I might not be able to add the value that I want. It, it, it is, it's so on parallel form with us because 
sometimes I explain to our landlords, property management, they look at the fee for property management, it's higher, and they kind of feel that we're kind of just getting a fence guy over when the fence is blown down. But what you're paying for within that kind of, let's call it a 12-month window, is you're paying for personal education. You're paying for an expert to give you the answers to the questions that you don't know the answers for. And that's what you're paying for with property management. You're not paying for someone to just, obviously we do that as well, but you're, you're paying for advice. You're paying for information. And, you know, we're always getting people calling us, I'm buying a flat or I'm buying a property and what happens here and what happens with the tax on the rent. That's what you're paying for. So, you know, the, the, the people that want to do it themselves are the people that are taking the very high risk fund, if you like, with their, with their advice. So with someone like yourself, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for an education. And I think the more that people self educate themselves in all sorts of different specialities, then the more successful they'll be in life. So for me, I, I see the value in it. It's, um, it's trying to do podcasts like this to hopefully get people that are nervous about what to do and, maybe being a bit of a bit of a tight ass don't invest in yourself invest in your own education yeah. really absolutely yeah T- totally agree I, I do see the parallels and um i had a property property management company you know when i was a landlord and it just there's an element of stress element as well mm. you know knowing that i had experts on the job made it so much easier for me because i have my own job you know for, for people again coming back to your point who've had their nine to five feed the kids, go to bed, it's nine o'clock, then they're trying to do my job, which is a full-time job, let me assure you. So it's, you know, you either want that on your plate because you enjoy doing it or you've got time to do it, or you pay an expert to try and connect the dots for you. Google's dangerous. Google's dangerous. <laughs> I had a bad elbow the other day and I was pretty much ready to, to go to the hospital. So yeah, I that was it, myself. yeah. <laughs> I think we've established it's not the quick fire round anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. You have been literally five nah, minutes plus. So that's, that's more our fault than yours. So go, catching you slightly off guard this time. So um, regarding the buy-to-let property, if you invest in the perfect deal tomorrow, what does that look like to you? Me personally? Yeah, there's um, no right or wrong. It's your personal opinion on this. Well, I know the deposit that you need to put down. Um, so... Yeah, interest-only mortgage is pretty attractive at the moment. It's probably finding something that will, probably from a tax perspective, mean that I can make it as efficient as possible. Um, so from an, like, an income perspective, you know, reinvesting that income, which will be taxed into something like a pension where you retain, sorry, you regain the tax relief that you've paid. Very interesting one. I was actually just chatting with Jamie about that, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, is trying to work out ways of, of what to do with that extra income. You know, A, can you can put pop it in the bank, but you'll get taxed on it on top of your normal incomes. Or you try and find a different tax wrapper for it. You could put it in an ISA, which then grows tax-free, or you put it back in a pension, and whatever tax you paid on it, you can reclaim that from the government. So, yeah, it's probably finding a way, knowing as well, like, you know, you touched upon earlier, I can drive, drive past something every day that, if properties do anything like what they've done in the last 20 years, it's a very good investment. Um, and it will form a really good part of my diversified investment portfolio because I think I've touched upon that a few times. We push diversification hugely, both within investments, which can mean equities, bonds, all of that fun stuff. But whilst we have elements of commercial property, there's nothing residential or buy to let. It's a really so, interesting point, actually because with interest rates so low at the moment and you're looking at kind of, you know, two-bed flat renting for 
1200 quid or whatever it may do at the moment and you know if you if you purchase that property and your mortgage is 350 pounds a month and you you know work out the the tax efficiencies and what's the core net profit at the end it's probably one thing that that isn't spoken about enough is you've made that profit make more profit and what you're talking about there is how do you chuck 200 now quid what, of that yeah yeah what can we do next with that extra 200 quid and bank 200 and and have 200 quid a month more to enjoy your life but also rather than taking four put 200 elsewhere and make more again for the long-term growth you're in a position to hold a buyer to let the likelihood is your normal income is covering your normal expenditure so this is going to be additional income mm. so can you get double the benefit by a having the income and then b looking at other ways to look at that to build a nest egg on top of the nest egg that you've already bought yeah and obviously looking at it from a really simple perspective if you're on an interest only mortgage there will be a point that you will either sell the property to liquidate the asset pay that mortgage off and you've got the bit in between or if you're growing an investment in the background who's to say that in 20 years time when you want to restructure some of your assets you might want to pay the mortgage off with the investment that you've created from the income. That makes sense. So you can actually make that buy to let then you own that outright. Mm. So that's a, that's a different, and then you might want to give that to your, your children for inheritance tax purposes, or you might want to liquidate the whole thing. You know, there's, it just, it's just options. Isn't it? You know, everybody needs options to make informed decisions at the end of the day. Yeah. Love that. Like it's that. a huge point, isn't it? The interest-only buy-to-let mortgages. It's so I've I've done so many buy-to-let mortgage applications, and it is so easy to answer that question. What are you going to do at the end of the term? You yeah. just stock answer. Either I'll have the money to pay it off, or I'll sell it. Submit application. But I'd love to know the percentage of people that actually do the planning because the application form's too easy. Yeah. Um, I'd just love to know if, if anybody does the planning. My thinking was, well, inflation is going to ride so high that the mortgage will be a pittance. It will be pocket change by the time yeah. it comes round in 25 years. So, frankly, I'll worry about it when that comes round. And I think 99.99% of other landlords probably think in the same position as me yeah. rather than, right, take some of that profit, reinvest it, and actually do what you're supposed to do with the with the application it's an easy answer isn't it just, oh, i'll just sell it because you, you're not living in it yeah i'll just sell it so the asset you've still got talk about the bricks and mortar element to it yeah okay there's a mortgage levied against it might be 75 percent, might be 50 percent, but always you stuck answer it well i'll just sell it why not create the 50 percent or 75 percent that you need to actually pay the asset off and then decide yeah so that's, yeah yeah that's yeah. that's options it's like running a business and just having your income comes in and then you've got multiple different accounts that it's going to or places that it's going to. It's treating your buy-to-let investment or portfolio in exactly the same way is a, is a very clever way of, of maximising what happens over the next sort of two decades. And probably the perfect way to kind of wrap up the podcast with what might be the highlight clip that we start with, we will see. <laughs> but no, I've, I've really enjoyed this podcast and talking to you live about what's going on with everything at the moment. So thank you so much for coming on. And um, if anyone obviously wants to get in contact with you, we'll put your website and contact details within within the caption of the podcast and the post. So yeah, thank you again for jumping on our podcast, man. I really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, it's been very enjoyable and enlightening from, from my perspective as well, understanding how it fits with you guys. Okay, another day, another dollar. Matt's left the building. Very interesting chat. 
and it's probably going to make our longest podcast because we had so much to ask him off the basis, off the back of what he had to say, which just makes for a really good chat. What did, what were your main takeaways? For me personally, you've got the best part of 60 minutes and hours worth of wealth management advice for free for everyone to download, listen to and hear. So it's a great, great podcast for people to get a lot of information. And I think he translates really well into kind of everyone's terminology. So the bit at the end for me was gold, you know, talking about using a buy to let and using the income that comes from that to add an extra arm to that investment. And almost kind of in my head, I picture the diagram off the back of that. So I think that for the listeners is super powerful because it does open up another avenue of, of how you could invest and whether that turns into more property investment or whether more property pots. This podcast is about people making money. And, and we did say it's not just about property, although that's where we specialise and it's a parallel arm of, of how to invest. So, yeah, loved it. Absolutely loved having that on. And I took a lot from it myself. So, yeah, really enjoyed it. For me, it's every circumstance is different. Some people have a small budget to work with. Some people have a lot more to invest in it. And the way that he plans it out is he'll work out what the end goal is and then plan backwards with a forecast. And I think it goes um, in line with our previous P um, podcast with Pete, where he does something similar on a short-term scale of like five years and plan back. This mm. will obviously be a lot more advanced, but to work out the end result. Yeah, I think it's really interesting just to know from his point of view, who needs a wealth manager? What is a wealth manager? And when should you engage with someone like that? Because I wouldn't regard myself as wealthy, but I've got assets that aren't really managed and aren't really looked after and I don't have any accountability to anybody. Mm. And that's what they provide. And I think if you look online, there's people like Martin Lewis out there who are just great for the consumers. They're doing part of a wealth manager's job by just getting on people's backs and saying, if you're a first time buyer, Put one pound in a help to buy ISA and you'll see the government will start giving you money when you go to buy a property. It's that sort of job that a wealth manager can do for you, your entire family, your kids, intergenerational to make sure you're making the best out of that money. So I think the value from that was exceptional. Yeah, he, he said no nonsense as well. That's the thing. He, he didn't try and put a plaster over everything that's going on at the moment economically. He, he highlighted what it is. And then for some people, we highlighted, they pull out. It's the worst thing they could do. The shrewd investor invests in. So I like the fact that it was straight talking, which is what we want from, from a guest on this podcast. So yeah, love that one. Really enjoyed it. If anyone wants Matt's details, they're obviously on the links. But if you want more questions, if you want anything for us, anything for him, please do send them in. Please do comment on our posts and we'll make sure they get across to him. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax and obviously a stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.